the message tonight uh, is on the rally for Christ. Now, we're calling the conference this weekend, not renewal conference, but we call it the rally for Christ. How many of you ever heard of Jesus, uh, of Jews for Jesus? Well, you know what we're doing here this weekend? Orthodox for Jesus. And that's what we're doing. We're rallying around the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord has called us to gather around his banner and under his banner and to proclaim his lordship. And that's why we're here tonight. And that's what I want to speak about tonight. I want to dwell on this subject of the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who we call the Lord, on his sovereignty. And uh, so that we might be helped in bringing our awareness of, uh, of the sovereignty of Christ, bring it on a higher level, and to, to have a sharper focus on the uh, sovereignty of Christ and the Lordship of Christ. In other words, to zoom in on Christ as the uh, Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Because, you know, in our Orthodox churches, we talk about Christ, we hear about it in church, the liturgy. We hear about Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hear the word Lord over and over again. And of course, it's also in our theological manuals that Jesus is the head of the church. We say that's a doctrine, basic, fundamental. He is the head of the body, the church. And no one else can take his place. But what is the need for the hour is to translate what is doctrine into reality. You know, through the years I used to hear the dogma of the doctrine of Christ is the head of the church. But in the meantime, others were exercising headship in the church. So it says there in Colossians 1.18 that in all things he may have the preeminence that Jesus Christ may have the preeminence. So Jesus Christ must be the head. And not only to say it verbally as a doctrine, intellectually, but to believe it in our hearts and to act it out. Because Jesus said to me, has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And it says there, the Father has delivered to me all things. All things have been delivered unto me. So the Lord Jesus Christ went and he sat at the right hand of the Father in a place of supreme glory and supreme exaltation. He, he occupies the highest position in the universe so that no flesh might boast in his sight. And none of us might dare to rear our heads and to act like we're uh, the Lord or we're a leader uh, or a master. It says there, there's no master except one, Christ. Call no one Father, except uh, God is your Father. It says there, call no one Master. So a leader, but Jesus alone is the leader. So what is important, I think, is to bring the Lord Jesus Christ out of obscurity in our lives and in our churches, and to bring him out of the background into the foreground. This is the feeling I have, the burden on my heart, that to make Jesus Christ central in our church. And when I say in our church, I'm not talking about in the divine liturgy. Because when we're going through the service, the traditional services, of course, we speak about the Lordship of Christ. But the moment the services are over with, then somehow we forget about the Lordship of Christ. Someone else takes over and starts exercising authority and headship. Not only that, but what I want to emphasize tonight here is that we do not speak of the Lordship of Christ outside of the services. 
The moment the services are over, we don't utter the name Jesus anymore. It's like, well, the service is over with now. Let's do our own thing. We got a president here, we got a pastor, we got a church board. You know, we hold our assembly meetings and we have an opening prayer. Of course, we always have that opening prayer. Father, get up and give us the opening prayer. Father, get up and give us the closing prayer. But between the closing prayer and the opening prayer, we never hear anything about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We refer, we never refer our problems, our concerns over to the Lord in a conscious way in the course of our means and our deliberations, whatever they are, our gatherings. Christ is irrelevant. You know, he's in the background. We believe in him, but he's not... He's not involved. He's not relevant to what we're doing here. Like someone said, we've got a church to run here. We can't talk about Christ all the time. So what we need to do, and I think this is what the Lord is doing in the renewal movement throughout the world, is to lift up Jesus and to restore Jesus Christ to his rightful place of sovereignty in the midst of his people. Not in terms of ritual or in terms of religious routine, but to do it consciously and spontaneously. And this is what the renewal is doing for many Orthodox people for the first time. That we're talking about the Lordship of Jesus in our lives and in our relationships with one another. Because there can be no genuine relationship between believers unless Jesus is in that relationship. And that's why there are no really serious relationships among our Orthodox people today. They're very shallow relationships. They're not rooted in Christ. Because there's no Lordship there, no consciousness, no awareness of the Lordship of Christ. So what we need to do is to lift up and exalt and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to turn to uh, uh, Philippians, Ramona's book of Philippians, but this time it's not chapter 4, but it's chapter 2. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there where the Apostle Paul speaks about uh, how Jesus is exalted. I won't take the time to read all of the related scripture here, but let me just uh, mention here, it speaks about how Jesus humbled himself and made himself of no reputation, verse 7, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him. How much has he exalted him? Highly. Because he occupies the highest position in the universe. And given him a name which is above every name. <coughs> that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven. What, what are the things in heaven? Well, the angels. Things on earth, well, human beings, men and women. And things under the earth, even the devils, the demons, too, shall bow. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now you notice there, it's put in the plural, in the future. It says that every knee should bow. Well, that's not really future, uh, but rather it's, it introduces a purpose clause. Ina, the Greek word ina, means so that, so that every knee might bow. So, in other words, uh, every knee bows now, and if it doesn't bow now, it will bow then, when Jesus Christ returns again in his glory. Every knee shall bow. 
Uh, and uh, that includes the whole universe, everything in the universe. When Jesus comes back in glory, the things in heaven, the angels will bend their knees, and every man and woman will bend their knees on earth, believers and unbelievers. And the devils will even bow their knees, but to no avail, of course. It will be too late to bend the need to Christ when he comes back in his glory. Now is the time to bend our knee to Jesus and to speak forth and declare his lordship, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what is important here is that it says that every tongue should confess. There are some people in the church that say, well, I don't like to show off my religion. I don't like to, you know, display my faith. They can see who I am by my works. But my Bible says that every tongue should confess. So it's the tongue. Of course, we need good deeds, good works. They speak forth our faith and our commitment to Christ. But the tongue must be engaged. There are some silent Christians around who keep Christ very much hidden in their hearts. And they say, well, that's personal for me. My religion, my faith. I don't discuss religion or politics, that kind of attitude. But every tongue should confess. So whenever we have the opportunity, the Lord expects us to confess him before others. And also in Romans 10, I wanted to turn there uh, where the Apostle Paul speaks about vocalizing the Lordship of Christ. Uh, he says there in chapter 10, verse 8, the, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Therefore, we need to confess Jesus and glorify him and exalt him. How? Verbally. How loud. The tongue must, should be used for the purpose of honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Our tongue must be used for God's purposes and not for negative, destructive purposes. Not to confess the negative, not to confess what is displeasing to God, not to confess that which is in the flesh, but to confess what is pleasing to God. Not to, to use our mouth for gossiping. Not to use our mouth and our tongue for judging others and criticizing others. But glorifying the Lord. And to be careful how we use our tongue. Because there's the power of death and the power of life in the tongue. In the tongue. And it says there, we will be judged by God for every idle word that cometh out from, from our mouth. We will give an account to God for every idle word. We have to be careful. And it is so tempting sometimes to be careless with what we say to others on a telephone conversation or whatever. It's so easy to be dragged down by Satan. We're always tempted to say something in the flesh, off the cuff, you know. But we have to use wisdom and discretion and care and vigilance to, be con to constrain ourselves and to use our mouth only to glorify the Lord. How beautiful it is when we can give glory to Jesus all the time. We can never do it. We can never do it enough. So that's why Jesus says that uh, if we confess him with our mouth uh, before men, then he will confess us before his Father, who is in heaven. And uh, I just want to turn to the scripture. Mark 
Mark 8, uh, 38, where Jesus says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. In Matthew, it says, Whosoever shall confess me, the word confess is used in Matthew, is used in Mark, but it's used in Matthew uh, chapter 10. And uh, read there, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before man, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. So we need to, in other words, the Christian believer is, ex is expected to uh, utter the name of Jesus as often as possible and to mention that name which is above every name because the name of Jesus is above every name it says there above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow so the name of Jesus isn't just another name just somebody somebody's name but that there is power in the name of Jesus, and the name of Jesus is identified with the very person of Jesus himself. When you say Jesus, what you're doing is you're inviting his presence right there with you. When the name Jesus is mentioned, he is there. He comes there before you. It's like calling him, where are you, Jesus? Just say the name Jesus. Whenever the name Jesus is uttered, the Lord is there. He picks that up right away. He said, who's calling me? Here's my name mentioned. Yes. And he bends his head down to hear our every prayer and every petition. That's why it says there, whatever you ask of the Father, in my name you shall receive. There's power in the name. But how can we exalt the name of Jesus if we don't believe that it is a name that has that kind of excellence and that kind of uh, superiority and that kind of power? So to understand the name, the power in the name of Jesus, we need to have a relationship with him. And this is why the Lord says, this is life eternal that we may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We need to have a personal relationship with him. And when we have a personal relationship with him, then we lift him up and exalt him and find every opportunity to lift him up. But while we lift up Jesus, What's the corollary to lifting up Jesus? And this is very important. Pay attention to this. That we humble ourselves. You cannot have, you cannot really exalt the Lord unless you humble yourself. <clears throat> the two are inseparable. There is no genuine lifting up of Jesus without humbling yourself. Now, how do I humble myself? Well, that must also be done <coughs> verbally, also vocally, by saying in so many words, I humble myself before you, Jesus, today, tonight, this morning, whatever. How many of you say that in your prayers? I humble myself. I bow my knees before you, Jesus. That is an act of humility, an expression of humility. You have to express it. And then, by expressing humility, then you say, I exalt you, Jesus. But we cannot exalt Jesus when we walk around with a spirit of pride, in a spirit of arrogance, with a spirit of self-will, when we're self-centered, when we expect the world to revolve around us, then we are in no shape or form. We are not really we have no capacity to lift up the name of Jesus because it's something very spontaneous. That's why the John the Baptist 
said, I must decrease, he must increase. Now there it is. This statement of John Beck expresses this basic principle. John the Baptist could not honor and render honor and glory to the Lamb of God that he pointed to without his what? Decreasing. And you know what decreasing means? Getting out of the way. Yes. Step aside so Jesus can be conspicuous. How many of us are ready to do that? So many of us are very touchy about being recognized all the time. We want to be acknowledged or we're offended so easily by the slightest thing we're offended. Well, when we, when we get offended so easily, we are really not in a disposition of, of self-effacement, of humility. We're, we're not disposed for humility. Because you know what humility is? It's to accept being offended. Quietly and humbly. Without moaning and groaning. And kicking up dust. And when I'm offended. Where does my mind go and my thoughts? It sh they should go to the throne of grace. And to say, oh Lord, I know. I know why you allowed this to happen. You're working something out in me. And I accept it. You're perfecting your purposes in me. You know the way we become an image of God? By humbling ourselves. There is no way in which we can be perfected except by being offended by others. Unless we're humiliated by others and dishonored, we will never make it. We'll never make the grade. I know from experience. The Lord wants to take all the human props from under us. The human support. The applause of men. And he wants us to lean on him. And to seek honor from him. Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees of his day, You seek honor from men, he said. That's why you don't believe me. And when you seek honor from men, you will not receive me. That's the way it is today in, in our churches today. So I must decrease, John said, and he must increase. Uh, do you believe that John was serious about that? Or is it just talking religious language? Was it just religious rhetoric? He was very serious. He, de he decreased. I mean, did he decrease? I mean, to the point where he was beheaded. What a thank you that is for the wonderful job he did introducing the Messiah to, to Israel. Behold the Lamb of God. You know, poor John, he probably thought, well, I'll hear a thank you from somebody. I might even be able to walk with Jesus, maybe. You know, spend some time with him. You know, they're about the same age. He was 33 years of age. You know, like a human being, figured, well, I'm looking forward to a real nice time with Jesus. Be with him, travel with him, walk with him. It's really exciting to be with the Messiah is here, the Lamb of God. I want to be there. My goodness. And he, and he lost his head. He died. He shed his blood. Because he was serious, I must decrease all the way. <laughs> Not just take a back seat. But I mean he's out of the way. And you know God's purposes are sovereign. 
We don't always understand it. But he allows these terrible things to happen that in our eyes look so unjust and unfair. Because there was no room for anybody else now. The Lamb of God is on the scene. And everyone else takes a back seat. Even John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, please. And yet he had to get out of the way. How do you like that? Because that no flesh might boast before God. And no flesh boast before the Lamb of God. It's his hour and no one else has any right to stand in the way or run him. To distract attention. And if we do, then the look out. The Lord has a way of removing us. So this is what it means to lift up the name of Jesus. And to say, behold the Lamb of God. Yes, Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Oh, that's so easy to say sometimes. But are we ready to die to self? Are we ready to be to be face self-effaced? Efface ourselves? To, to be to be abase ourselves and to deny ourselves and to step aside so that Jesus may be glorified. And to die, to crucify the flesh, the pride that's in every one of us, like Paul said, in me there is no good thing that dwelleth. That is in my flesh. I don't trust myself, Paul said. I don't trust my flesh. There is no good thing, no good, there's capacity for no good thing in me. Because I lean toward evil. He said there, I believe in Romans, he says, I do what I should not do, and what I should do, I don't do. Because I see another law in my members. The law of sin that wants to subjugate me, subjugate the law, my mind the law of, of, of the flesh. So this is the hour in which Jesus is being glorified, my beloved. This is God's hour for Christ to be restored to his rightful position in the church. Amen. And it's time for all uh, false uh, foundations to be exposed and fraudulent, you know, things in the church to be removed. All human landmarks to be taken aside, removed. So that the King of all may be glorified. May be glorified. This is what I experience in this renewal since the Lord visited me a number of years ago. And the Lord is dealing with me too personally in in ways in many ways in this in this particular dimension in this particular dimension. <laughs> so He's cutting us down to size, whoever we are, regardless of our rank. We may be a priest, we may be a bishop, we may be an archbishop or a patriarch. But I'm telling you, the day is coming when God is cutting down everyone to size. And we priests don't like that. Because too many of us want to play God in the church. But that day is coming to an end. That's why the renewal is at the grassroots level. Some people say, let's pray for this or that, bishop or priest. Because once becomes spirit-filled, well... There's the renewal, all said. Well, I got news for you. That's not God's way of working. He doesn't work through some patriarch or archbishop or bishop. Boy, I hate to think how of your God. I mean, is that kind of a God you, you believe in? That's looking for some high-ranking dignitary to renew the body of Christ. I got news for you. I woke up many years ago. I forgot that kind of mentality. 
And uh, I, uh, I know that God is working at the grassroots level with housewives and ordinary people and lay people. And we don't like that in the ranks of the church. But that's the way God is doing. He's, he's cutting us down to size. He's humbling ourselves. You know why? Because humility and dying to self is the antidote to the spirit of the Antichrist that is infiltrating even the church today. The spirit of the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? I'm not going to get into that tonight. But it's the spirit of of a substitute Christ. Christ substitute. This is the spirit of Antichrist. To pretend you're the Christ. To take his place. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. It isn't to fight Christ. You know the devil's more subtle than all that. He's more subtle than all that. He's more subtle than all that. You think the devil's crazy? He doesn't show his true colors. He says, have your whatever you want, church. But he works in a subtle way, treacherous way. He raises up people to take the place of Christ so that we don't need the Lord. You know, well, you know, I got Father so-and-so here. He takes care of me. Bishop so-and-so, you know. You know, I told someone, well, you know, uh, after we move a little bit, and people's lives are changed. Christ is being glorified. Well, he says, I don't know about Christ. Is, you know, we got Archbishop Yakovos here. You know, and I don't say this to be critical, but it's all malicious. We need bishops, we need archbishops, and we need I respect them all. But there's always that inherent danger, that peril. So the Antichrist spirit will not only be in the political realm, in the New World Order that's emerging, but also in the New World Church that's emerging. So the antidote, the preventative, my beloved, to the Antichrist spirit is humility dying to self and exalting the name of Jesus both together. That's the antipreventative. You know what I'm trying to say? And wherever those two realities are missing, you can make sure that the spirit of Antichrist will be present and will reign supremely. Well, let me repeat that again. Unless there is the conscious, vocal, spontaneous exalting of Jesus Christ and humbling ourselves to one another and to the Lord, we are welcoming the spirit of the Antichrist in the church and in our lives. We will fall under the deception of the Antichrist. So, uh, what I'm trying to say here, my beloved, is that we cannot play games in the renewal movement. Because it's God's renewal movement. I'm going to say more about it uh, tomorrow. But what I want to point out tonight is the call of God upon our lives in the renewal to lift up his name. And while we're lifting up his name, to humble ourselves to one another and to avoid behaving in the flesh, that which is of the flesh, Born in the flesh is flesh. That is born in the spirit is spirit. So we need to engage in warfare against satanic attacks against us. And we need to understand that Jesus loves us, like Ramona beautifully brought out tonight. He cares for us, the song said. But as Ramona said, he cares for us and he loves us. But not only when all things are going our way. But he cares for us even under the worst circumstances. We could be miserable 
the whole world might seem to be against us. Uh, maybe our marriage is going on the rocks, or uh, someone uh, uh, upset us, or we have problems with our children, or some in-laws, or whatever. Or our business affairs went bad, and sour, or whatever. But we could be done in the dumps, but still Jesus cares for us. In other words, his love <clears throat> is not a permissive love, does it? It's not, uh, it, it's a love that's, uh, that disciplines us and chastises us. It's a love that is manifested while we're down in the deep valleys, in the valleys. His love is still there while we're suffering. In our moment of affliction, Jesus loves us. How many of us can say that to ourselves? Jesus, I know you love me. Here I am, I'm miserable, I'm down the dumps. You know, I don't want to talk to anybody. Just feel terrible. And yet, can I say, Jesus, you love me? Hmm. That's a challenge. When we're not in the mood. Because many of us go by moods, by feelings, by the feeling of the moment. Depending upon who talked to us the last time. The last telephone call I get sets the pattern for the whole day for some of us. Just throws us out of whack. And we get dis dis disagreeable with other people. Someone else calls us. We don't feel like talking to him because the other guy called us a little while ago, you know, irked us and vexed us. But this is the challenge that we have, my beloved, is to lift up Jesus under all circumstances and to sing his praises while we're vexed and while we're afflicted. To lift up our voice to him. Tell him how much we love him. So, so what is important is an awareness of Jesus, and that's what the renewal does. First of all, how can you lift up Jesus if you're not aware of Jesus? Unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And this is, uh, this is of ultimate importance. We cannot lift up somebody that we don't know. Cannot lift up somebody that we don't love. That's not important for us. So what determines the measure to which we lift up Jesus? It's to the measure, to the extent that we know him. And also to the extent that we love him. I cannot lift up somebody I don't love. And Jesus wants us to love him. He says, come unto me, he invites us to him. It's a personal relationship. He wants, he wants us to know him. Come unto me and follow me, you see. It's personal. And this is what we need in the church today. <clears throat> a personal relationship with Jesus. Our people lack that personal relationship. And that love for Jesus. Now I want to dwell on that again tomorrow. That this is part of the renewal uh, to, to love Jesus. And when we love him, then we want, we want to lift him up. But what makes the believer capable of glorifying Jesus Christ? Now I want to come to another point here, another uh, subtitle here. I want to talk about this. How can we glorify the Lord? How can I find it in me to do that? How can I be capable of loving our divine Savior and wanting to lift him up? That's a very important question. And unless we answer that question, we will never be able to be in a position to glorify and exalt Jesus. We cannot work up neither the desire nor the capacity to 
love and to exalt Jesus. Let me say that again. We cannot work up a desire or the capacity. It doesn't come with teaching or with persuasion or with reasoning or by legislating it. It doesn't come via the intellect. It's not a cerebral process. It's not a mental activity. It doesn't come with human effort or human exertion. But it is what? The work of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Yes. You want to exalt Jesus more? Don't go around asking people to pray for you to do it. But seek the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives us that capacity. He produces within us that desire. He infuses within us, first of all, the love for Jesus, and then the desire to exalt his Because the inherent function of the Holy Spirit, my beloved, is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of man. We don't have it in us. It's not in our flesh. On the contrary, what does our flesh say? Our flesh says, glorify yourself. Seek your own recognition and glory. But the Lord said in the Gospel of John 16, I turn to the chapter there, where the Lord promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and he says there, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Verse 14, he shall glorify me. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. What's the function of the third person of the Trinity? To glorify and to lift up Jesus. That's why the third person of the Trinity is called self-effacing. The Holy Spirit does not point to himself. Oh, and never. His function is to always point to Jesus and to glorify him, to show him, to show him up, to display him. You know, here's Jesus, here's Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. Here's Jesus. Lift him up, exalt him, exalt him, exalt him. And on the other hand, what is the function of the second person of the Trinity? To infuse the Holy Spirit. Wherever Jesus is, is where, what does he do? What's his work in relationship to the Holy Spirit? He breathes out the Holy Spirit. Wherever Jesus is, he imparts the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful relation, mutual relationship? The Spirit glorifies Jesus. What does Jesus do? He breathes out the Holy Spirit. Where do you go? He communicates the Holy Spirit. By nature, it's in the nature of Jesus to do that. He doesn't have to be told. He does it all the time. Wherever Jesus is, there is the Holy Spirit because Jesus is always imparting the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, you and I have to have be receptive in to receive the Holy Spirit. We, he doesn't come apart from our willingness to Hallelujah. So if the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ, then it's only by reason of the Holy Spirit you and I can glorify Jesus. When he dwells in us, then Jesus is glorified. So actually, it's not you and I that glorify him, but who is it? It's the Holy Spirit on the inside of us that lifts up Jesus. 
try to be conscious of that more. That way, you'll be able, you'll lead more on the Holy Spirit. And seek the Holy Spirit in your prayers. So that you may have a greater capacity to glorify Jesus. Many times I find myself praying that kind of prayer. And I say, Jesus, give me more of your Holy Spirit. That I may glorify you more zealously. More intensely, Jesus. I'm not satisfied, Jesus. I'm not satisfied. The flame of your Holy Spirit is burning very low in my heart. Quicken thy Holy Spirit into my heart. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, but renew within me a right spirit, like the psalmist says. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, No man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit.
totally to the work of spiritual edification. That the Lord might show to each and every one of us this weekend not how wonderful we are, how great we are, but to show what's missing in our lives, in our hearts. What area in our personalities, what area in our lives is not right with the Lord, in other words, where we're in the flesh, not in the spirit. And to say, Lord, show me what area in my life I need a change. I need a transformation. I want to be perfected. And the Lord will perfect us to seek Him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And we're not here this weekend on a vacation. We're not here to tour the Gulf of Mexico, although it's beautiful. Stay around a few extra days. I want you to enjoy everything here. And especially our compound here, this, the house here of Saints in the Theologian. I want you to enjoy your stay here, to make it a home away from home. Because I, it's here to minister to you. And we do our utmost here to make it a pleasant surrounding for each and every one out of our love for you here. And I want to welcome you in behalf of our small staff here at St. Simeon's Renewal Center. We welcome you again as you open your hearts to Jesus and to receive that blessing that he has in store for you. Take this message tonight, put, put these words, etch them deeply in your heart as we embark on this beautiful weekend, maybe a blessed weekend for each and every one of us.